Welcome to another episode of GER Cafe. I'm your host, Lainey Dixon. I'm beyond excited for today's episode to be joined by the always amazing Steve Bromley. If you're around in the games user research space, you certainly have seen or heard of Steve and his website and book, How to Be a Games User Researcher, which if you haven't picked up by now, I highly recommend. I had the chance to sit down with Steve and discuss how both of our mindsets have shifted over the years in terms of how we approach our reports as researchers and how we've learned to find additional opportunities to build our influence and impact beyond the report itself. Steve had a lot of amazing insights from his experience to share today, so we have a lot to talk about. Grab your favorite drink and let's jump right into today's episode. Okay. <laughs> we made it. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you very much. I'm really, <laughs> really glad to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. We've been chatting a little bit about coming together and having a conversation for a little bit now. And I just I genuinely have appreciated the conversations we've had so far. So looking forward to it. But first of all, I would be surprised if anybody doesn't know you at this point, but can you please give a little bit of an introduction for the listeners? Yes, of course. So my name is Steve Bromley. I am a game user researcher. I've been working in the industry for probably a bit over a decade now. First uh, five years at PlayStation in the European user research team. Uh, that was a really nice place for learning about user research because as a publisher, you get exposed to lots of different team sizes, lots of yes. different environments. Um, I, I learned a huge amount. Um, the, the next five years of my career has been helping teams of a variety of sizes just get started with user research. So either running individual play tests or helping teams who are interested in it and want to grow their capability inside their own organization, coaching them through it, giving training and, and just helping teams incorporate user research into how they make games. Um, some of that um, and also previous work with the IGDA mentoring scheme led to, led to me releasing a book about game user research. Yes, love the book. Fantastic. Um, Go ahead and plug the book. Let's, let's make sure we, everybody knows about it. <laughs> it's called um, How to Be a Games User Researcher. And it's a lot of the topics that used to come up repeatedly on mentoring, like yeah. okay, actually, what is the job? How does user research translate to a games development environment? And what sort of experience do I need to to get started? And so it kind of wraps up lessons and then puts it on, on, on pages, which is, it's been a nice experience. Yes, I, I love it. I've read the book. It's amazing. I think that as we were chatting about right before we got started recording today, I think this there is this necessity for a really nice kind of easy welcome in to kind of what to expect because I think it can feel very daunting because NDAs and there's a lot of information that can't be shared about kind of what happens in a lot of the day to day. So it can feel a bit overwhelming of like, what is games user research? How do I get there? What does it look like? What am I going to be doing? Do I need this degree? Do I need this? <laughs> How do I make sure I'm well positioned for what I need to do? And I think you've been doing that writing for a very long time. And I know, as I mentioned, it's something that helped me a lot when I was getting into the industry. So it feels very full circle to bring all of that, that together today <laughs> to chat with you. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? A nice journey. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, 
Awesome. Thank you. Highly recommend everybody check out Steve's book, blogs, everything. We'll have everything linked um, in the description for the for the podcast episode today. But I want to jump in to a kind of more specific topic, I guess, uh, that I threw out to you a, a little while ago to see if you'd be interested. But lately, I, I've been having a lot of conversations with folks on my team about what I've been kind of referring to as going beyond the user research report. Um, and what I mean here is that, like, can we as researchers find opportunities to provide greater impact and bring influence without thinking our only way of doing that must come from a kind of tangible deliverable itself. Uh, and for me, this is all kind of linked closely to past discussions we've had on the podcast where we've talked about being a design tool. Um, and I'm excited to discuss today a bit how we can use that same mindset uh, to think about how we can leverage basically the entire timeline of kind of leading up to, during and following a deliverable and the opportunities that come up for us to be able to provide impact and influence within decision-making. Because I, I think that what I've seen a lot with researchers that I've worked with is getting stuck in this loop of, okay, I presented a piece of research and then you kind of fade into the background until the next request comes up or questions or whatever. And so you kind of have to wait for permission to kind of come in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of setting the scene a little bit of what I want to chat. So I'm going to stop blabbling because I could probably go on. But I think because of your experience and the way in which you've kind of written about topics really related to this, I'm, I'm interested in getting some of your perspective uh, because you have such a wide uh, breadth of experience of working with different teams, different levels of seniority. And so I'm going to jump straight in to our very first kind of question that you and I had discussed was, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, okay, before a piece of research, right? So we're getting, we're getting ready to move into producing a report or a piece of research. We're going to bring in, do a user test, something like this. So how can we, how can researchers create a more collaborative and impactful culture with the partners that we're working with surrounding this kind of the insights before the report is written? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great question and, and a great topic. When I reflect back on my own learning, my own journey in game user research, I can see actually for a long time I, I was making that same error about yes, same. Um, judging based on, hey, my job is to, to run a great study and make a great report and I've done that and I can step back and, and think, well, I'm fantastic at my job and uh, think that's the point where it was actually, although that is the job description and that's what yes. teams think they want that real ownership mindset is thinking about i i'm responsible for the actions a team take as a result of this and so our real yes. success is being measured on on the impact we're having not our ability to run studies and i think myself on this journey i'm, I'm still learning this i'm still working out how do we make that work and how do we make sure that teams are in the place where they can use our research findings not just can we do do a good study uh, exactly as you said that does start before it starts well before the debrief if you start thinking about how do we have impact to the debrief um you you have left it much too late yes 100%. I, 
usually that first interaction, I guess, with a team is they they've come to you with a question. They want to to learn something about their game, and they have some research objectives. Will will players understand my tutorial? Is the difficulty balance correct? Those, those type of questions. And again, it depends on your team and and their their maturity and, and your relationship and the amount of experience you've had with them on this. But sometimes those objectives can be ill-formed or or lack the the depth of information that they'd actually need to to act on yes. it. So that I think that's versus quite... wants. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like if you. I see this mistake a lot. I know I made this mistake very mm. early on for a long time as well, where it's like, okay, I'm here. What is it that you want? Like, what what do you need? Mm. It's 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 a conversation. It's you know like, well, yeah, okay, we want to know if players understand the tutorials. Okay, well, what does that mean? Mm. Yeah, it's a what huge. These, it's there's so many questions. Like you can't yeah. just leave it at that. And a lot of the times you see people leaving it there and mm -hmm. then it turns out once you kind of deliver your shiny report weeks later it's like here they go like they understood the they understood or they didn't understand the tutorial okay but like maybe that's not exactly what was needed initially it's kind of you have to kind of dig and go around that it's it's a discovery together that's exactly it there's a huge amount of context those research objectives that you need to to know to to be able to come to the right, to come to helpful conclusion to that team. And that looks, it looks casual, but it's just conversations with the team, right? Yes. It's up, asking them for, for a chat about, okay, why are you asking this study? What's important to you currently? What have you done before here? Just getting all, uh, getting all that context so that you don't discover in the debrief, exactly as you said, that you're not really answering the most important thing for the team. Yes. And, and that's not the team's fault. They, no. They're specialists in, in what they know, right? So. Yeah, and I think something that's always been really interesting for me when I've challenged researchers of like, okay, well, is this really what they need right now? How are they going to act on this? It's this, you can kind of tend to sometimes get this fear of questioning. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to like, they said this is what they want and I didn't want to like step on their toes by mm -hmm. questioning. And so it's like, oh, okay understood right you don't want to go and be like why do you need this it's mm -hmm. it's the tone right and so i think it's it's encouraging conversation it's asking questions that encourage you know what what would you change if you got information about this and mm -hmm. kind of redirecting the why question right and i try and tell my team all the time it's you're just doing user research you're interviewing a dev it's just the same strategy that you would use if you were interviewing a player it's a funnel you're trying to get down to that core piece of information that you really want to know and you want to know why but you probably can't just come out and ask them why mm -hmm. so use collaborative language use language that helps them get to that okay well what does this mean or how can we work on this and rather than coming in and making them feel defensive which is a lot of people's instinct like well i didn't want to ask them why and i didn't want them to feel bad what's well, no it's it's the point is that it's not someone's right and someone's wrong it is a collaborative conversation around ensuring that you really know what it is they need and you can't rely on them to lay out the research questions because that's not their expertise <laughs> i think that's a really nice mindset treating it as a piece of, of discovery research is exactly yeah. right it's also uh, especially for more junior researchers or people early in their career, 
it can be quite scary to ask questions, right? Because you might think, oh, I'm revealing my ignorance. I'm revealing that I don't know what's happening in the game. I, I totally understand that. And I think we have to learn to overcome that. And something that senior researchers can do to help is just model that behavior. Be, use your position of, well, I, I'm establishing my role. I'm, I'm confident in what I'm doing and show that it's okay to, to ask teams questions and show yes. that it's okay to say, I don't know. And ask those stupid questions that feel stupid because everyone thinks, oh, this is obvious. But um, by asking it, you realise that actually it's not obvious. And half the people in in the room haven't understood what the logic behind this decision is or, or why we're doing that. Yes. So it's a really nice thing that um, people further in their career should be modelling and doing to help with that. 100%. I think that's great. Uh, yeah, your question was about impact. So yeah, that first yes. step is, well, the first point of it is co-writing those research objectives together, not just taking that from from a team and running with it, interrogating it, spending a bit longer understanding the context and working on agreeing together what position is the team in, what's the most important thing for us to, to learn next, and then go and do that together is yeah. that first step. A lot of relationship building there at the beginning. Yeah, and I think the key to me, like what you said, is is doing it together. It's finding ways to integrate them into the research, what you're doing, how you're moving forward. I think that there is often also this fear uh, of, well, they can't see behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. You know, like I need to keep the dev team at a, at a at an arm's length because I don't want them to be making their own decisions or inferring their own decisions from seeing uh, the data or being present in a test or observing or anything like that. And I think that, okay, I'm sure we could all name a situation or a time when this has potentially occurred. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that it doesn't happen, uh, but I think in going along with kind of co-creating those objectives, I think it's an interesting way to think about how you can integrate or work with the team and that's kind of the starting point, you know, we set the objectives and like, how can you work with them? And it's not just, okay, we had a conversation. I'll see you in two weeks with your report. Mm -hmm. It's the I, middle. Yeah, I, I agree. And depending on the maturity and the experience that your team have had of working with you as a researcher, there are lots of mini opportunities throughout that process to get them involved. You mentioned Observation is the obvious and easiest one, inviting your dev teams to come and come and watch the session, to see them live. Um, and I, I totally understand and also have had that experience where teams see one participant, assume that's representative of, oh, every participant has that action, and immediately jump to taking an action based on it yes. without going through analysis and prioritization and all the things that we would do as researchers. There are a few safeguards I, I guess you can take to to address that. Um, something that with some of the teams I work with, we sometimes start with enforcing until teams maturity has raised is just setting rules for observation. If you're yes. going to come watch the session, then you have to have read the research objectives beforehand so that you know what we're learning and more crucially, what conclusions we're not trying to take from from this session that yes. we're about to run. 100%. Um, and you have to attend the debrief. You have to come to the come to the end and see what's happened at, at the end and what the conclusions were. Re they may still run away with their own conclusions in the meantime, but at, at least you have education opportunities where you can bring them back on track and say, actually, here's the most important conclusions. 
I love that. I think it's so nice to include them and set those clear ground rules. I've done that before. I've kicked out people of observation rooms. I've, you know, I'm like, nope, no, this is not the behavior that I'm looking for. But I think it, it's nice to, and I, I think I made that mistake kind of early in my career was withholding some of that information from the mm -hmm. team, thinking that it was going to cause them to try and kind of infer their own, um, end results but what I really found is that through my own personal experience of giving them full visibility having that meeting hey everyone just so we're clear these are the types of questions that we're going to ask here's what the players are going to be doing here's the timeline here's the schedule here's how we plan to introduce them to the content we're going to have an interview here's the questions we're going to discuss in an interview and it's not to get their approval or input necessarily on the process. It's just to give them some visibility to help them feel, oh, okay, I see how they're going to evaluate this question I had. I, I feel a bit more comfortable that they're going to be able to provide me what I want on the back end. Yeah, and that point about approval is important, isn't it? I've seen researchers accidentally fall into, I'm sending you the, the discussion guide so you can approve it or give feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, we have domain expertise in this area, which means that we're going to write higher quality questions, presumably. And so we're not after approval, but we're after your understanding. We're sending it to you so you can understand. Yes, Yeah. 100%. And during that observation activity, I've also found quite helpful with Teams is, as you can imagine, Teams are taking their own notes as, yeah. as they're watching sessions because they're seeing things, they want to remember that. As a researcher, especially if you're working in a pair, so you have another researcher in the observation room, you can make that into a, a moderated activity. You can give them some structure for their note taking. So uh, explain some rules such as uh, giving them some objectives that they have to look out for and writing notes on post-it notes and then putting their post-it notes in a special section. Things that you that. Yeah, it's nice because not only does it give them a thing to look out for so that they're paying attention to the session, they're staying on track with the objectives, but also it's a learning opportunity for you as a researcher. Yes. You're seeing what they're thinking and, and what they're taking from the session. And yes, yeah, sure, they don't have your research expertise and, and they don't have the, um, the background of interpretation that you do, but you're also going to learn a huge amount of their, their mental models. What, what do yes. they think about what they're seeing? Yes. And I think that's what's so important. And I think doing that during, I love the idea of kind of doing that like actually live during a test, because I think this has always been something that I've tried really do, to do ahead of a test, you know, sitting with them, playing the content, having them talk aloud, having them explain to me what they see, how they designed something, why they designed it that way, what they're really looking for. And I think I love this kind of combination of that, of having, bringing them in the, the room, I say that a lot of quotations in the observation room and having them based on the the mechanic or the decision that they've specifically designed their perspective because that gives you so much more information about how you can think about the report how are you going to present the findings how do you discuss whether this is an issue or not because maybe that's really going to shape how you think on whether or not this is fundamentally a problem mm -hmm. Yeah, their priorities are, are exposed and, and tremendously helpful. Some some teams obviously don't can't do that live, or there isn't research and observation room. It also works as a, a wrap up activity, I think, at the end of the day or yeah. the end of a batch of sessions. If you had the consistent observers, 
you before you go and do your in-depth complex proper analysis doing that as a intro activity will just frame what you're going to look out for in your analysis and and how you're going to communicate it to the team I I, love you know, that. really important yeah yeah i think that's a really great idea especially when you do have a little bit more of a mature team or a team that you're like working with and you're still kind of trying to find all of your footing like it's a good way to kind of introduce these small pieces to kind of help continue to build understand their perspective gain that buy-in and that trust and that credibility with the team because you're you're there you're understanding the terminology that they're using which is a huge piece of just being able to provide that long-term impact right is being a a good co-partner yeah. to to the team and them being able to have the opportunity to explain their concerns of what they mm -hmm. saw and not feel like you're not listening or not paying attention because it wasn't the objective or something you know it's kind of finding that middle ground a bit. I, I agree and I guess it also makes our, our stakeholders, game designers, game developers, people we are running research with um, engage with the research process at a deeper level rather than just uh -huh. watching they're thinking about it they're analyzing it and so when it comes to reporting later on they're already halfway there because they have been reflecting what they've seen through structured activities before they get there and, and that it, the reporting just becomes a well let's document that thing we learned and, and let's yes. talk about priorities rather than revelations and new information for everyone yeah because i think 100% and I think it really helps to if there's a difficult conversation coming it's a lot easier to prepare for that it's easier to ensure that you know what you need to prioritize discussing in the report but this is a good segue next question structure <laughs> so I want to discuss a bit about how we can structure this information right like within the deliverable itself how we can use the structure to our advantage, our presentations and the way that we discuss things to be able to create more of a discussion friendly mm. environment and be able to build that influence as we continue kind of down the road once the report's delivered. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great segue. Um, good point about the report. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, reflecting back on my own journey and mistakes that I have made and probably still make on occasion i guess the temptation is hey we have a report template i have mm -hmm. i've learned 100 interesting things so let's make a list of 100 interesting if i'm feeling nice i'll prioritize them so the big ones at the, st uh, the start and, and the small ones at the end but it's just 100 slides of here are 100 issues we learned or 100 interesting findings yeah shiny uh, things exactly which is easy to do for the researcher but it's again not taking full responsibility for the communication and will the person listening to this take away the important parts of the finding yeah i i'm sure you've had the same journey that i have you sometimes um reflect on that you realize that actually it's probably a lot more useful to report 10 things that are uh, important and and well communicated than a hundred things then going comprehensive and explaining everything yeah and I think it's, it's understanding the time and place right it's yes. understanding like do we need is it useful to deliver a hundred things mm -hmm. 
what it like is this the last research opportunity that we're going to have and this team still has several months of dev time that they could work on some of these things yeah load it up <laughs> like give them what they need you know prioritize it try and find ways to chunk it but yeah i think it's i see very often this if people are maybe not entirely confident with the objectives that they had, they feel like they need to fill the pages mm. or they weren't entirely clear what they were, the information they were trying to gather. So they kind of hunt for findings and then they present them as like a, I found this thing. It's like, okay, mm. but is that related to what we were trying to do? And we all have our formats. We all have our, you know, the logos on here, the the banners, the assets, and this and that. And I think it's been something. I'm sure my team loves me for this, but I constantly try and like take the template away from them. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, what? And I'm interested in your perspective of what do you think is the thought process of how you should consider how you would structure your report? Yes, great point. Um... So I think, again, coming back to you have understood the team's context and you understand what's important and those things like what do they have capacity to deal with. And then from that, I, I would take a storytelling mindset of, OK, people remember stories. They they will stick with them more so than just a list of findings. And so what is the story I want to tell with, with this report that would be relevant to the team at this point? What are the most important takeaways that I want them to have or what's the most important thoughts I want them to have and what actions do I want to take them take based on that. How that can look in, in real life uh, is yeah cool have all your findings but stick them all in the appendix um, yeah. make some nice top decide what the topics or the stories you want to convey are and they might only be three main points that you, you want to convey from your, your findings have, keep have a section on each make the section the story and then just use your finding as evidence for here's the overarching issue we're talking about here and here's some findings that are evidence towards it a couple of, of points and then at the end of that section let's talk about what we can do about it and let's talk about um taking action from it so that we are yeah people remember and take away the right things i think yes. so, yeah, i guess the ethos is just treating it as storytelling and trying to explain what we're trying to do, uh, sorry, help the team understand what they need to do next yes. rather than giving them a comprehensive list of issues. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's it's easy to, it, I know you've talked about mind maps. Mind maps mm -hmm. is something that I love when doing research. I know my team uses them as well. And sometimes I think when you're, you can become so hyper-focused on your branches. When you're just like, this issue, this issue, this issue, and then you kind of translating that onto the page can sometimes just feel like separate little buckets of information. And so what I've kind of started doing with my team, like you were saying, is thinking about that story is close the mind map <laughs> and just write the outline. Mm -hmm. What are the most important things that your gut is telling you is important? You can change it later. You know, you're, you don't have to abide by this as like the permanent top findings or executive summary, but write that first. Put it in a Word document somewhere else. Put it on the left side of your mind map or however you use the mind map tool. Just write it what your gut says are the top findings, positives and negatives, and close it. 
-hmm. and then go through do your findings get all your pieces together and start kind of using then that initial framework and you can use it to kind of confirm or deny did mm -hmm. i did i was going in, was i going in the right direction my gut says there's something here but i didn't have a finding for that how do i kind of mitigate that and i think it's focusing more again on that story the the high level the 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 themes of what you want to present rather than throwing all the findings on the page and being like these two things seem somewhat related i'm going to write one sentence of how they're related mm -hmm. and you kind of it feels like this random mishmash of kind of mostly interesting pieces but pieces yeah i i agree with that I, a nice way i had it explained to me very early in my career was imagine that you got in the lift with the with the game designer yes. what is it that you would say and they asked how did that test go what would you say to them in the lift is probably the amount of takeaways that you should be aiming for with your yes with your story yes yes i had a one of my cell owners when i was pretty early on doing research on siege i we were on a different floor than the research lab and he was always sitting waiting ready for me by the time i walked from the debrief up the stairs down the hall i needed he expected that the elevator pitch mm -hmm. he expected it so i had to be like walking really slow trying to think about what i would say but it really did force me to just take a moment, take all that information in and try and at least start digesting it into that story rather than being, oh, well, seven players did this or six players did this thing. It's OK, mm -hmm. what does that mean? And forcing me to kind of think in those terms, I could change the message later once I'd done my full analysis, but it really got me in this mindset habit of condensed, you know, the, the elevator pitch, like you said, like this is like a couple of lines that's about as much information as you, you need for that kind of real key first groundbreak of like what you're looking at. And I know some teams ask for a similar sort of thing at the end of each day, for example. Yes. So it's a multi-day play test. An email at the end just to say, oh, today we saw these type of things is obviously you haven't gone through the analysis process as, as you described, but you it's a really great opportunity to start teams on that right track so that rather than having no information they have some kind of good information from your test if they observed it they you're influencing what conclusions they're taking from the test yes. i think summarizing is very valuable in a way we can have a lot of impact before we've written that report yeah oh and i think going back to as well something that we had both mentioned was this fear of a team taking a decision based on what they saw rather than us kind of confirming or giving that information to them i think if when you do have these like multi-day uh, piece like studies if you're not providing any sort of debrief that kind of furthers the chance of someone seeing something on day one and fearing like oh i wonder if they're gonna have that in the report mm -hmm. in a week and so it kind of helps mitigate like you were saying in terms of like hey we saw this as well we're gonna further investigate i always liked to take the approach of this is something that we saw here's our follow-up questions of what we want to look at kind of giving them the inside of what we were thinking or what our concerns were that we wanted to follow up with in the data or the next day of touching base with the player in an interview or whatever it kind of helping them see we're working on it you know we saw it too we saw that thing and we're going to continue to look into it yeah that's a great perspective so i'm curious your thoughts on 
recommendations. Okay, great. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about reports, mm -hmm. what, um, what you kind of think about giving recommendations as part of a report. Yes. Uh, as I, I know you're very aware because we've talked about it before. Yes. <laughs> um, there are two schools of thoughts about, about recommendations. So I guess just to be clear, a recommendation is we've seen, a, we've seen a problem with the game, we've seen an issue, and the researcher deciding to say, here's what I think we should do about it. Um, one school of thoughts is that's that's positive and a researcher has domain expertise and that you might have expertise in usability or UX or or have seen things in other tests that you can bring to the team and that's giving them new ideas and, and part of the service. The other perspective and probably the um, actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on the fence at the end of this. Are you? I was going to say, which side are you choosing? Yes. <laughs> The other side, as as you know, is no, that's not a researcher's job. You're falling into design and it's going to upset designers because you're stepping on their toes or it, it removes you from being an unbiased, neutral participant here. I am more towards researchers shouldn't be doing solutions, but I no, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't give solutions myself, but that doesn't mean it's not our problem. And I think that the the I'm saying correct and I'm not happy with saying correct <laughs> um I the mindset that I currently have yeah. is to take ownership of ensuring the team come to a solution so yes. you have seen, seen an issue you can explain it very well you can give some prompts for let's think about this or let's think about about this aspect um in general design parlance you might be making how might we's yes and then you guide a team through through considering that yeah. you facilitate workshops or uh, the conversations where they they understand the issue they talk about the range of ways in which they could address that and then come to a conclusion about this is the fix so i am sitting on the fence i'm sitting on the fence definitively of <laughs> let's not write the solution but let's be responsible for making sure the team come to a solution. I think that's totally fair. I'm very much this camp as well. Um, so I will join you sitting in the middle on the fence. <laughs> I think for me, there's a lot of risks for researchers who maybe you're new to the project, you <laughs> are covering off a piece of research with a team that you don't know as well. Um, if you are not familiar with the decisions that have already been taken, <laughs> it, you can sometimes look a little bit silly if you try and recommend something that maybe has already been ruled out due to technical constraints, time, money, or it's just not the intention of where the game is trying to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for more junior folks, it can be, uh, I'm a little bit more reluctant for them to be able to, to do that. But like you said, I am very much the proponent of prompting. Mm -hmm. uh, using them as a way to open up the discussion. I personally, and I say to my team as well, is that using it as a guiding of, you know, maybe we could consider something like this or how, like you said, how could we do this? How can we ensure this thing? Uh, and using it kind of more as a direction of let's think about this specific mechanic and how it impacts these things. But I think you nailed it where 
what helps us build that impact and influence and ensuring that we also are best prepared as researchers is really ensuring that we get to a decision mm-hmm. and how we can kind of present that information to them to workshop, whether you're the one moderating a workshop with them, you know, putting up stickies on the board, here's some potential solutions. Let's think through the risks based on what I know about doing research with players. Here's how I can say that some of these things are potential risks and Mm -hmm. discussing if that meets their intention for the design. But I do think at the end of the day, it's, it's our role to be able to ensure we're giving them all of the pieces to be able to take that step towards making the decision. If you're really, really confident and you know that team really well and you've been with them for a couple of years, yeah, I'll give you a pass. Maybe you can give a recommendation. Uh, but I think it's it's the intention behind it, right? I think it's that for me, when I whenever I was in situations providing a recommendation, it was really tabled as, here's one way we could go about solving this problem, discuss. And a lot of the times they would be like, no, we can't do that because of this. But it got the dialogue going. It got them thinking about, no, that's not going to work. Okay, how come that's not going to work? And then we can start to understand the problem space that we're in. But it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit against just flat out recommendations for everything. But again, guiding that conversation. Yeah, I agree. It can severely impact your credibility, giving a, a poor recommendation and then all of your fantastic highly researched excellent conclusions that is your domain expertise that are the research findings are potentially at risk of losing credibility as well which is difficult 100%. for the actual workshop bit how we used to do it at playstation was we would pair that with the debrief so we would present all, all the findings uh, tell a wonderful story as you can imagine and <laughs> then return to the mind map, sit the mind map on, up on, on the board and say, OK, we're going to take the highest priority issues and now we're going to have a couple of minutes discussion about potential ways to address each. And it wouldn't be a hard commitment because obviously in the room, there's people with a whole variety of domain expertise and some people yeah. are going to own this. Some people just have opinions and some people shouldn't have opinions, but it creates a space for let's discuss a range of options Let's get a broad steer on on what we could do. And then let's give that an owner. We could say, OK, that top issue looks like actually it's a thing about the UI. We've talked about some different ways to address it. We know this person is in charge of the UI. And so we haven't just debriefed our findings at the end of that session. We've debriefed our findings and put someone in charge of resolving each of the issues, yeah. which I think is a nice hybrid. Yeah, I love that. I think it's finding some combination of these kind of like next steps or how we're going to move forward and kind of keeping kind of ownership or at least kind of ensuring that you can be present from those conversations and provide the context. Again, maybe there's more specific details in a mind map or kind of lower level information that isn't present in that overall report or maybe you can reference back to the findings that you had uh, and ensuring that they really understood the story you were trying to tell them Um, because I think ensuring that you have kind of that connected impact after the report Mm -hmm. delivery is just as important kind of as all this other stuff we've been talking about, right? Like leading up to, okay, we did the report and now we're kind of talking about the bounce back of 
this loop of okay we've we've done it mm-hmm. now where are we going with it because i think a lot of people's instinct is i delivered here you go here's mm. your shiny piece of research and then you kind of again fade away but for me this is when like the really interesting really fun work gets into place is how we can think about how do we build our impact after that insight has been mm. delivered a lot of the challenges around that are it's very soft skills based isn't it it's building yes. relationships with the individuals you've understood who's taking responsibility for each of the things that you've talked about or the debrief and just checking in with them whether that's just having asking them for a coffee like having a conversation about how it's going dropping into the office um it's relationship building which isn't the hard science bit of the job but it is equally important to actually have any sort of significant impact. Yeah, and I think that's what's really uh, surprising, I think. I've seen that for a lot of people coming in is that, you know, I'm like, you need to spend less time doing the research and more few times talking to people about how you can help them with research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, what? I, I, I know, I'm like, my stats doesn't help me with this. What am I supposed to do? And I think it is really important to be able to find those ways of, again, communication, <laughs> relationship building. And the really great thing is you don't have to try and come up with a topic because you already know what topics you can go follow up with them on because you just wrote a report. Yes. And so you can go and you can say, like you said, if you assign, okay, we have this UI issue, we're going to assign it to this UI designer or whomever that's going to resolve this issue. You already know exactly who you want to go talk to mm-hmm. about the topic. And it's really easy to be like, hey, can I grab you for a few minutes? You know, can we go grab a coffee or can I poke you later when you have some time? So you're not just like cold calling, you're, you, mm-hmm. you have a specific agenda of things that you can go to further leverage the work that you've already done into building those relationships. What's really nice about that as well is it becomes an iterative cycle. So teams who perhaps haven't had a huge amount of experience of research or don't know the, the vast ways in which a researcher might be able to help. They might have some preconceptions about yes. a study looks like this and can only answer these types of objectives. As you start to spend more time with teams, you can notice those opportunities. You could you can mention, oh, actually, that's a great thing that we could test with a paper prototype. You don't need to yeah. finish, finish making it and, and inspire when new tests should be happening rather than sitting back and waiting for it to come to you. Yes, I think it's thinking about that as like this, like as a loop. It's always the the needs gathering is part of the debrief from the last piece of research. And mm-hmm. it's the, it's just this never ending loop. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get all the way around. But when you start to think about, yeah, you can be able to recognize, yeah, we can just do this on a paper prototype or mm-hmm. we can ask some internal folks some questions in a really quick play session tomorrow afternoon. We don't need to wait two weeks until the build lands and we can do a QC pass. Like we can do something really quick and easy at our desks. And you might not necessarily recognize those smaller opportunities to get those quick wins Mm -hmm. if you're not having those regular conversations with them. You're not seeing what they're working on or how they're evolving from the the information that you gave them last week. Yeah, I, I really like how you described it as a loop Coming back to the beginning of our conversation about the job being based on on impact, not just running the studies. Yeah. I guess the study is only half of that loop. It's the the semicircle. 
And if you're only doing taking objectives, running a study, writing a report, you, you're not hitting that iterative loop and you're not having the type of impact that you deserve. You need to do that communication bit to make sure it lands and to queue up the next thing yes. so that you, you're ultimately influencing the quality of the game at the end of it. I think it's it doesn't make it easy necessarily right it doesn't it's not a surefire like it's gonna everything's gonna be great uh but i think when you i think when i realized that mindset for myself it made it make a lot more sense mm. like oh i can just use all i already know like the questions that i can start asking people it makes it so easy to go and build those relationships with those designers build the relationships with the team and think about how can I potentially start to anticipate the questions they're going to have now mm-hmm. based on the, the direction or the questions or how they wanted to address the problems for the last test? I'm already writing down what I think are going to be the questions they're going to have. And I can go and I can ask and discuss like, hey, have you thought about this? Have we, have we considered these things? How do we want to, how are we approaching this problem? And you know what? The build looks stable enough. We can probably run a quick test and get you some information on that. Mm. I, yes, I I agree. Um, Reflecting back on my own journey, it's not easy, the communication things, but um, it's it's essential. I, five years ago, if you asked me, how am I as a user researcher? I was very good at running the studies and very good at taking objectives and running it and uh, efficiently coming to a great report. And I thought I had user research down. I thought, yeah, I'm an excellent researcher. I'm fantastic at what I do. I, I get the job. And it's only with time that I've reflected on, actually, no, that's not the job. And that's only doing half the job. And I'm, yes. I'm not an excellent researcher. And a lot of my growth, personal growth over the last five years has been exploring that side. It's, yeah. okay, how do I create an environment where research does have an impact and can be impactful? And a lot of that is is conversations we talked yes. about and relationship building not just running studies well yes 100 Mm percent. and i think it's also being able to find opportunities to i know you'd mentioned this when we were chatting last time was recontextualizing the research we've already done as well being able to help understand that not every piece of our impact is delivering a new piece of research because i think that for me i always felt like i had to do something new bring something new to the table i'd bring new information and that was through bringing a new piece of a new deliverable a new piece of research but when you start to spend more time with a team and you're doing pieces of research or you're talking to the researchers around you you can start to identify that sometimes building those relationships and having impact is talking about a piece of research that you did a year ago and not actually doing a new piece of research (laughs) and it answers questions and it helps again close that loop because you've provided and recontextualized that information and i think that feels like cheap to some people because they're like Mm. oh i need to like produce something new and wow and flashy and like you have all of these problems but sometimes it's being able to spend the time to chat with them and understand the questions or concerns and say hey you know what we've we've asked something similar to this let me go back and pull that here's how we can recontextualize it for this situation and maybe that's the bouncing off point for the needs gathering for the next test you know it's kind of like finding it just being present and talking with them getting to know them makes when i realized that for myself as well i was like oh 
I'm only doing like half of my job. <laughs> I, I I agree about old research. Like it might not be exactly the questions they're asking today, yeah. and they might just give a clue in the direction in which to go. But without you being there to flag, hey, we learned this a year ago, they would spend the next two or three weeks, however long it would take you to run a new study, with no information at all and no clue and making decisions based on no information. Whereas if you're there just to flag, here's something we did a year ago that's somewhat relevant, at least you'll point them in the right direction. Or you might be to do something scrappy, as you mentioned earlier, let's just add a question to a survey that's going out anyway, or, or something to to increase the quality of the decision making they're going to make, even if it's not the perfect study, you are helping the team. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I know that you had mentioned this before when we were chatting, when it was the, this idea of, well, we're there, we're providing something, as opposed to us not being there and there being nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, even if it's not this perfect piece, that doesn't downplay the quality or the impact that it can potentially have. And sometimes it's just even, oh, we know not to ask this question. It may not tell us which question to ask, but it tells us which ones we don't need to nice. or that we don't want to, you know? So it's kind of finding the balance in between can save a lot of dev time and that saves money and that saves time and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in an environment like game development where um, it's so time pressured uh, teams aren't going to slow down. So if you don't have uh, the answer today, they're just going to make the decision and, and run with it because yes. they can't wait for a study often. So yeah, you are providing value, saving, uh, increasing the quality of decision making, proving the game through all these things. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one more question before we run out of time yeah. to kind of close our loop a little bit further is I want to see kind of what your perspective and advice would be for people who are trying to get involved in the decision making process and the discussions that typically follow the the report deliverable. What are some ways or some things that people can think about to kind of keep that conversation going? Yeah, good point. And it, it probably depends on the relationship between you and your team. So some yes. researchers are obviously embedded and spend all their time with their team. Some work in that agency format where yeah they might not be dedicated to one team all the time. But some of the general principles I'd look out for is, well, starting by asking questions, ask, ask the people you're working with, where do these decisions get made and what are the, the most important meetings to come and join? And then just come and join other meetings the teams are having. Yes. Listen to what they're talking about. Even if it's not a research-related meeting, you will be exposed to Here's the debates in the team. Here's the questions they have. Here's, here's their priorities currently, all of which is fantastic context gathering for your, your next study. Um, so that looks like asking questions one to one with the people that you, you work with or relationships you have already, asking them for recommendations for, OK, what should I be exposed to? What should I what have you written down somewhere that I can read? What meetings yep. can I come to to keep up with your team? And I, I know this is where we started. It's all just building relationships, isn't it? It's yep. being thought of as a credible and sensible team member that is important to keep in the loop with decisions. And then they will come to you and, and you will be involved with those decisions naturally because you are part of the team. 100%. I love that. I think it's it's so powerful. And I saw that for myself and I see it for my teams of just be, being present. 
-hmm. Don't feel like you have to show up to a meeting and have information or ask questions or be able to answer questions. Sometimes it's just absorbing that information, understanding, like you said, who are the decision makers? How do they make decisions? What type of information do they want when they want to make a decision? That helps me think about how I can frame my findings, how I can frame my conversations. If I know they're specifically asking for these pieces of information, I could start to think about how I can help, how I can provide the information that they need, the decision makers versus dis versus decision validators and ensuring I'm kind of understanding what type of information and the level of depth I need to provide or just getting more behind the scenes of what the decisions coming down the road next year or a month from now can potentially look like. But yeah, it's just like you said, being a, a, a good coworker, being yeah. somebody that's just present and there and available and maybe you don't have all of the answers to the questions, but you know what their questions are and you can at least write those down and save them for later. <laughs> and the nice thing is you can do that over a coffee. So isn't that nice? Yes, 100%. Uh, we are we are like really at the end of our time and I'm sure we could continue going, uh, but thank you so very much. This was a great conversation. I feel like there was, we covered a lot of different things and I just, I so appreciate you taking the time. I don't know if you had any final words to share or anything. Um, no words of wisdom, just thank you for the opportunity. I yeah. I enjoy the podcast um, every, is it monthly? Every edition. <laughs> when uh, I get around to it. <laughs> I, I really like that it does give honest conversations about what the job is really like and and a lot of it reflects my own experience and so i'm really happy to have been able to join today thank you for that wonderful well thank you so much we will be sure to i'll be sure to leave all of steve's info so you can find him his book and the blog everything his newsletter which is amazing if you haven't already registered i'll leave that information for everybody uh, and i will see everyone uh, in our next episode, maybe a month from now, maybe less. We'll see. <laughs> so, thanks again, Steve. Thank you.